This is from Romans 12. I'm going to start in verse 9 and go all the way to verse 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you have sent forth your light and your truth. Thank you that you've given us this passage and your word to direct our hearts uh, to truth and to light. We hear uh, from the world that if you uh, rejoice, the world rejoices with you, and if you cry, you cry alone. We pray that would not be the case here at Infusion Church. We pray, Lord, that we would rejoice with those who rejoice and that we would weep with those who weep. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, change our hearts uh, rather than uh, holding fast to the sin in our hearts, that we would hold fast to good and that we would abhor evil. We thank you that your love is genuine and we pray that our love would be genuine. And we thank you for Jesus who uh, was not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In his name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you very much. Good morning, church. Um, if you're new, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, I'm, of all the things that you could have done, all the other places uh, you could have been, you chose to be with us this morning. I'm truly grateful uh, for that. Um, also, uh, if you're new, we want to make sure that, and you're more interested, you're interested uh, about finding out a little bit more about what we're doing in our church, um, you can fill out a connection card that's in the seat pocket, drop it in the box, plus we'll have a couple of announcements at the very end of this service to let you know what's going on. Uh, one of the other things that, that's happening right now is that we're in a series, a church life series, uh, called Love Your Neighbor. And, um, you know, one of the things that we do with our church life series, we kind of sprinkle them throughout uh, the year and use it as an opportunity to address something that we believe is timely and important for our church. And, you know, we want three major uh, components of, of health for our church. We want to love God, love each other, and love our neighbors. And I think we're, as, as a, a 
church, family, I think we're more naturally inclined to, to love God and love each other, but struggle a little bit more with loving your neighbor and taking that as a command, not a suggestion, and as fruit of the gospel, not just some arduous, you know, obligation that, that we are supposed to, supposed to have. And so during this Church Life series, uh, we're emphasizing love, love your neighbor. Now, the title of this morning's message is Love Your Neighbors, Including Your Enemies. Love your neighbors, including your enemies. That's going to be a tough one, I'm sure. Uh, we don't have slides this morning, but you should have a handout. and You can follow along using the handout. And what we're talking about this morning, I think, is probably the most difficult command in all of Scripture. Love your enemies. Love those who wrong you. Love those who hurt you. Now, I want to ask you something. I want you to take a moment and just think. Who are your enemies? Maybe you think, I don't have any enemies. I get along with everybody. Just think a little bit longer. Who is it that you just don't like? Or who is it that just does not like you? Uh, who is it that has, that has wronged you and, and you hold a grudge against them? Or, or maybe you wronged them and you tried to seek reconciliation, but, but you know, they, they hold a grudge against you. There's some strained relationship in your life. Who is it that comes to your mind? Now, I want you to hold that person or those people, or maybe it's a whole group of people. I want them to you to hold them in your mind as we talk through this. And there's a very good chance that as we go through this, you're going to feel frustrated or maybe you're, it'll be like opening an old wound. It'll be really difficult and painful for you to listen to this. My hope is that as a result, this command to love doesn't, make, doesn't crush you, but gives you life and a sense of freedom. That's my hope. So let's pray for that as we go through this message, right? We are called to love our enemies. And it's so critical for us to understand that this is not a suggestion. This is not a, if you have a good day and you feel like it, you know, forgive that person who wronged you, right? Loving our enemies is at the very heart of the gospel. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, King Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Jesus basically saying, are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? Then love your enemies. And if you don't, how can you claim to be a child of God? This is countercultural. This is not how the world operates. You just gotta scroll through social media just to see the vitriol and, and the opposition and the polarization that happens in, in, in the world. And it's just amazing to see people who claim to be Christians jump in on it and just dogpile. It's just the craziest thing. It is worldly. It is ungodly. Christians are called to be different. 
leading up to this passage, the apostle Paul spent the first 11 chapters of Romans uh, telling us about the gospel, the good news of God's kingdom and salvation through Jesus Christ. And now he says, in light of God's love in King Jesus, this is how you will live. Love your enemies. Love those who take advantage of me. Love those who treat me like dirt. This is the most difficult thing to do in the Christian life. And yet, the Bible says, it's the heart of what it means to be a Christian. This is not easy. In fact, not only, not only do we take this as a suggestion, but I think we can straight out reject it as Christians and justify it. This morning we're going to wrestle with three questions. The what, why, and the how. What is involved with loving our enemies? Why don't we love our enemies? And how can we love our enemies? And the first question, if you're following along with a handout in, in, uh, in your bulletin, the first uh, thing that we see is, the first thing we need to understand is first, what's involved in loving our enemies we have to understand the battle. And the battle is this. The battle is overcoming evil with good. We see this in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is, the Apostle Paul's using military language here. He says, do not be overpowered by evil, but overpower evil with good. This right here is the overarching purpose for loving our enemies. The overarching purpose for loving our enemies is to defeat evil. If you repay evil with evil, and that's so tempting, and we fall into it, and we can justify it because we've been hurt, but if you repay evil with evil, immediately evil has won. Evil has then given birth to more evil. You defeat evil by doing good to the one who wronged you. Now, notice what the Apostle Paul does not say. He does not say, overcome the evildoer. He doesn't say that. He says, overcome evil. And it's way too easy to identify evil too closely with the evildoer. But if we try to destroy evil by destroying the evildoer, we play into the hands of the evil that's behind the evildoer. Verse nine says, abhor what is evil. But we are also to love the evildoer. He says in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Pray for them. <laughs> uh, so often I see a, like a flare-up on social media happen. And then, you know, they've got a Christian who's like arguing with a non-Christian. And, and this non-Christian isn't, you know, adopting the Christian's belief about something, usually politics. And then the Christian says... I'll pray for you. That sounds like a good thing, but everybody, including the person who says it, knows it's not. 
I'm going to pray that you stop being an idiot. I'm going to pray that you get your head screwed on straight. You're embarrassing yourself and everybody who, who knows you. I'll pray for you. When we're called to pray for people who persecute us, we're praying for God's blessing on them. You know why this is so important? Because when you do good to the evildoer, a couple of things happen. First, you, the spread of evil towards you is stopped. But if you repay evil with evil, evil advances in your life. Second, loving your enemy makes it possible for the spread of evil to be stopped in, other, in another person. And, and we're going to look at more of that in a minute. But we got to understand the battle, that we cannot overcome evil with more evil. It's got to be with good. Second, you're not going to like this one. If you're anything like me, you're not going to like it. Here it is. Forgive and pay the debt yourself. Who told you? <laughs> Look at verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourself. Never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. When someone wrongs you, they owe you a debt, right? And that's why we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, the question is this, who pays the debt? See, forgiveness means rather than making them pay, and there are all kinds of ways we make them pay in passive-aggressive ways and in aggressive-aggressive ways. There are all kinds of ways we make them pay. Forgiveness means rather than making them pay, you pay the debt. You absorb the loss. And when you forgive, the debt doesn't just disappear, does it? Right? Say I go to Emil, and I say, Emil, I'm in a tight spot. Can I borrow 100 bucks? And Emil says, sure. Here's 200. You would say that, right? So he gives me 200 bucks. I'm like, thank you, you know. And he's like, you got it, no problem. And then later I come back to him and I say, Amel, I can't pay you back. And naturally, Amel says, don't worry about it. It's okay, I forgive the debt. You would say that too, right? Yeah, see, good guy. There's still a debt and he paid for it by absorbing the loss. He's still out $200. There's still a debt to be paid, and he paid it. Through forgiveness, he absorbs the loss. So let me, let me ask you something. Who is it that comes to your mind that you need to forgive? Maybe you're justifying your withholding of forgiveness. I want, you, I, I, I want to challenge you on that. Even for your own sake. I want you to pray, God, help me to love them. Help me, show me what it means. We're gonna get to that a little bit more here in a second. 
but I want you to, I want, you're going to make this practical. You're going to make this applicable, relevant to your life as you think of somebody that, that you need to forgive. And Paul's saying here, to refuse to forgive is to take God's place. But only God has the wisdom to take vengeance. Only God has the right to take vengeance. Only God has the power to take vengeance without evil spreading to him. And do you know what happens if you don't forgive? Evil spreads to you in the form of bitterness. Bitterness, I'm telling you, is deceptive. Bitterness is dangerous. It makes you feel like you have a right or even a responsibility to hold on to that grudge. And I know that hearing that God calls us, commands us to forgive almost sounds or feels like you got punched in the stomach because of how bad that person sinned against you. I hope you're reassured by the time we're done. Bitterness hides like a root underground and it grows into all the other areas of your life. And it makes you a prisoner. I'm telling you, sometimes you might hear, okay, I need to forgive this person who's wronged me. I've got this command hanging over me. I don't know how to do it. And you feel like a prisoner. That you're being punished all over again. That's the deceptiveness of bitterness. King Jesus wants to set you free from bitterness. Bitterness makes you a prisoner. Theologian Lewis Smedes wrote a book called The Art of Forgiving. And he says, if you cannot free people from their wrongs, you enslave yourself to your own painful past. And by fastening yourself to the past, you let your hate become your future. You can reverse your future only by releasing other people from their pasts. And then on top of all that, bitterness, it, it, it poisons your relationships. Scriptures say that the root of bitterness grows until it defiles many in Hebrews chapter 12. In other words, it poisons our relationships. And on top of all that, bitterness undermines your relationship with God. Bitterness is actually the opposite of humility. And we're told that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And bitterness prevents you from basking in God's grace and experiencing the freedom that comes with God's grace. Now, I think every single one of us knows someone who is bitter. Amen? We all do. And we've seen how it makes them a prisoner. We've seen how it poisons relationships. We've seen how it undermines relationship with God. And the scary thing is, they no, never know what's happening until it's too late. And then sometimes that person is looking back at us in the mirror. Bitterness is deceptive. And I want you to evaluate whether or not bitterness has its roots in you. Something needs to be done about the bitterness before it's too late. You forgive and pay the debt yourself. 
Third thing involved in loving your enemies, and you're not going to like this one either. Don't avoid the person. Uh Uh-oh. Crud. What's verse 18 say? If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Look, I know it's only natural when someone wrongs you to avoid them, right? You say, oh, I forgive them. I just never want to see their stupid face again. Right? Right. But that could very well be just a passive-aggressive way of making them pay. And how are you going to overcome evil with good if you avoid them? Now, I've learned in messages like this, it's important for me and lots of people I talk to, usually after a sermon like this, that it's important um, to, to mention this. That there are some rare, legitimate exceptions, okay? Situations where a, a, a person that, if you allow them to be with you, could enable them to sin, right? In those rare cases, the most loving thing to do is to avoid them and create clear and appropriate boundaries, okay? God's not calling us to be doormats. When Jesus said, turn the other cheek, he's not inviting you to, to like, oh, you, you, you want to hit this one too? Just keep beating me senseless. That's not loving to the other person to let them continue to sin against you like that. Okay? So out of even love for them, that could be a situation. But you need to have somebody else help you talk through this because otherwise we could turn every enemy into somebody that we will just avoid, that we'll walk away from. How will good overcome evil if you just stay away? The fourth thing involved in loving your enemy is to fight back with love. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rather than using words to tear them down, we use words to build them up. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. This is what it looks like when you fight back with love. So identify your enemy's needs and lovingly seek to meet their needs. Maybe, yeah. That is a practi- that's a real practical step right there. You probably know your enemy pretty well, whoever it is. And if it's appropriate, whatever's appropriate, identify your enemy's needs, lovingly seek to meet their needs. And then finally, pray for repentance and friendship. Again, verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap herping, herping? Heaping coals on their head. <laughs> this ended up, almost ended up being a totally different <sighs> topic. <laughs> Next week, yeah. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. All right. So I've heard a lot of theories about what it means to heap burning coals on his head. Um, 
some people are saying, this is not really violent. It's, you know, a pot of uh, amber so they can make fire or whatever. There's lots of theories out there. But I think it helps to remember that Paul's using military language here. And an ancient military tactic was to set up a huge cauldron of, of burning coals on, on a cliff or something. And your enemy's, you know, advancing. And wants to, they want to take the, the mountain and, and defeat you. And, and when your enemy approaches the, the cliff, uh, then, then you would dump out a vast amount of burning coals on their head. And the result is that you eliminated your enemy, right? Paul, but Paul is saying, he's fight back with loving words and deeds. And God can use that to convict them of their sin if they are in sin and lead them to repentance. You eliminate your enemy by making them your friend as opposed to eliminating your enemy by killing them. You eliminate your enemy by making them your friend. This person used to be my enemy. But my enemy's been eliminated because actually they're now my friend. Some of you have experienced this where someone wronged you and God gave you the grace to forgive and, and, and you saw your enemy re repent of their sin if they happened to be in sin and, and then they became your friend. And some of you were the one forgiven by someone else and, and you repented and you were changed and you know firsthand how powerful this is. And since you know how powerful this is, you would probably want to be able to exhort your brother or sister in, in Christ saying, I know it seems counterintuitive. I know this person hurt you incredibly bad, but I am telling you, there is power in forgiveness. There's freedom in forgiveness. I think all of us, including me, we need to go home and meditate on this text in Romans. With that person we have or people that we have in mind. And then we need to declare war. We need to declare war against evil and fight back with love. Man, oh man. What I just said get so easily dismissed as being stupid and naive. You all know what I'm talking about, don't you? That gets dismissed as being stupid and naive. Well, that's just the worldly paradigm that we have. That's the way the world looks at this kind of foolishness. So that's what's involved in loving your enemy. Now, why don't we? Why don't we? <laughs> I'm just assuming we don't. Paul gives us an insight back in Romans 1. He says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So the sin beneath all sin, the sin beneath all sin is loving something more than God, loving God's gifts more than the giver saying, you know what, God is not enough. For my life to have meaning, I also have to have this. And so why don't we love our enemies? Why do we get so angry and bitter when somebody wrongs us? 
Well, see, here's the deal. Sinful anger is the energy we need to defend something we love when it is threatened. Deep down, and this is for your next subpoint on your list, we love God's gifts more than the giver. See, our bitterness, our anger will always be proportional to our love. In other words, if something is threatened that you don't love, you don't get angry, right? If something's threatened that, that you do love just a little, then maybe you get only a little bit angry. But if something's threatened that you love so much that you can't live without it, then your anger, your bitterness will be uncontrollable. You won't be able to control your mouth. You won't be able to control your body language and your facial expressions and, and your resentful thoughts. I can get bitter or angry, frustrated. Usually frustration is a dressed up term for impatient. I'm just frustrated. Usually means I'm just impatient. We usually get angry, bitter, frustrated because, or at least if you're anything like me, it's because, uh, well, in my life, I love respect and uh, comfort. If someone is messing that up for me, my knee-jerk reaction can be anger, bitterness, or frustration, or impatience. So I need to be on guard against that. Repenting of loving respect or comfort more than God also helps me to love people who, are, who mess it up for me. Right? Look, man, we're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a new creation, a new city, a city on a, on a hill. It's something that, that's countercultural to the world around us. We need to get this. And if your anger continues after all your efforts to love your enemy, then you got to ask yourself the question, what am I defending? What do I love so much that, that I can't live without it? Maybe it's respect. Maybe it's acceptance. Maybe it's the approval of people. Maybe it's security. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's, uh, you know, control. All good things, right? I'm not saying those are bad things. But when those things get messed up by someone, you look at them as somebody who is opposing you. An enemy of one sort or another. Guess what? That is the enemy you are to love. If we can't get rid of our anger and bitterness, it's because we love a gift more than the giver. We love something more than God. And that brings us to our last question. It's the how question. Okay, we're supposed to, how in the world am I supposed to do that? The only way is to love the giver more than the gift. Love the giver more than the gift. And how, do you, how, how can you do that? By knowing God's love for you. By remembering God's love for you. By remembering when you were God's enemy, he still chose to love you. And how can I know God loves me? Especially when the things I love are being threatened. Paul tells us back in Romans 5, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. This is how he demonstrated his love. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? You got to remember God's love for you. You got to remember his forgiveness for you. And this is God's love, that when we were his enemies, when we made ourselves his enemies, Jesus died for us. And, and, and why were we God's enemies? Well, remember this, remember this. There is nothing good that you have that did not come from God. But I worked hard to get a job. I worked hard to make money. I worked hard to have a good life. It was not a gift. Okay, but where did you get the skill and the ability and the mental capabilities to work? Every single breath you take, every heartbeat you have is a gift from God. You are totally dependent upon God's grace. but we've loved God's gifts more than we've loved him. Okay, I want you to think of a, the person that you love, love. You, you've been thinking about enemies. Now think of a person that you love more than anybody else. The person you love more than anybody else. Maybe it's one person, maybe it's several people. Imagine them. Picture their face. And you kind of feel the love kind of stirring up in your heart when you think about that person. Now, imagine if that person that you love more than anybody else said, I need to tell you something if I'm gonna be perfectly honest. I don't really love you. In fact, I never have. I just love what you can do for me and the things that you give me. Talk about getting punched in the stomach. Talk about being crushed. That might be hard to imagine, but we all know people where that's actually happened to them. And it cuts deep. And it can give you a wound that lasts a lifetime. And you know what? The truth is, in conscious and subconscious ways, it's so easy for us to say exactly that to God through our attitudes and our action. When we're controlled by our anger and bitterness, we're saying, God, I love your gifts more than you. I love what you do for me more than you. I love what you might give me more than, than, than you. When we're filled with worry, we're saying, God, you're not enough. Without these things that I'm worried about losing, I, you know, I can't be happier. When, we're, when we despair, we're saying, God, I can't go on without these things. You're not, you're not enough. I imagine a friend or a spouse saying something like that. It's hurtful. Right? In many ways, we say it to God all the time. And as a result, we, we wrong God and we owe him a debt. And God has every right 
to make us pay. And the scripture says the payment for our debt is, is, is eternal debt, separation from God and his gifts forever, his gifts forever, separation from God and, and, and enduring his wrath. And that's the bad news. But the good news is that God loves you and doesn't want you to be subjected to punishment. So God said, I will pay your debt. I will pay the debt and absorb the cost of sin so that you can be forgiven. Unconditional love because of Jesus' death on the cross for us. On the cross, God paid my debt. And when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, Jesus absorbed the loss so that you and I can be forgiven. On the cross, Jesus overcame evil with good so that ultimately the spread of evil will be stopped in you and in the world. Let me ask you something. Do you know how much God loves you? Do you know how much God loves you? It's more than you can imagine. I'm telling you that right now. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay your debt, then, then you do know, at least to a degree, you do know that, that love. And if you know that love, then, then you will know this, that all of your sin has been forgiven, past, present, and future, especially your sin of not loving your enemy. You are no longer God's enemy but his friend, and you will dwell in his house forever. And to the extent that you know his love, you will show his love. You will show his love, even to your enemies. I, I want to close with just a, a couple of things that have been in the news lately. If you have been watching the news or following social media at all, uh, you heard about a young 18-year-old man, Brant Jean, who shocked everyone when he forgave Officer Amber Geiger, who shot and killed his brother. His brother, who was in his own home, eating ice cream, officer came in, shot his brother. And he forgave her. And he, and he was asked, how could he forgive her? Why could he forgive her? Well, he, he said, he, well, it was, it was not because it was easy for him to forgive. There was nothing cheap about it. And, and it's not because, you know, racism is supposedly blown out of proportion. It's not because the prevalent injustice does not need to be met with justice. Forgiveness is not easy. Racism is real. And injustice most certainly demands justice. And yet this is what Brant Jean said. Quote, if you want to forgive, just understand that God forgave you and I know that every time I ask God for forgiveness, 
he forgives me. Back in 1999, it's going way back. The story's hard to forget, though. A man named Graham Staines and his two sons, Philip, who was only 10 years old, and Timothy, who was just six years old, were mobbed by radical Hindus, trapped inside their vehicle in Orissa, India, and they were burned alive. The three charred bodies were recovered clinging to each other. That's how they found them. This man, Graham Staines, had spent 34 years as a director of a mission there, serving everyone in the name of Jesus, blessing them. He was survived by his widow, Gladys, and his daughter, Esther. And Gladys's response, when she was interviewed, made the papers, all the front page news throughout the whole of India. And she said, I have only one message for the people of India. I'm not bitter, but I have one great desire, that each citizen of this country would establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ who gave his life for their sins. Let us burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love. And her daughter was asked how she felt about her dad's murder And Esther, 13 years old, she was quoted in the paper as saying, I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for him. That is language straight out of the book of Acts. When when the apostles suffered to advance God's kingdom of grace and love and peace, to overcome evil with good and to let their light shine, they knew that Jesus is king and that King Jesus is enough. And this requires that you look at the world, especially your enemies, through the lens of God's kingdom. And we advance God's kingdom as we love our enemies. I think it's a legitimate question for us to ask, do I even want to be like this? Do we want to spread a passion for our great and sovereign God of grace? Are we willing to die to self and dedicate our lives to showing God's grace? We will if we see that Jesus died to show us grace. It starts in your heart and then you take it to your family, and then you take it to your neighborhood, and you take it to the people you work with, and you take it to your enemies. That is how the kingdom of God advances. So who do you need to forgive? What enemies need to be destroyed by making them a friend and fighting back with the love of Christ? I am telling you right now that that you cannot do this. I would not expect you to do this unless you are overwhelmed by God's love for you and overwhelmed by God's freedom that he has given to you. That is the only power available to love your enemies. You look to him and then step out in faith. Amen? 
Would you bow your heads with me?